Welcome to the JSW Radio Hour podcast, produced by the University of Arizona Southwest Center in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. I'm Jeff Bannister. The following audio essay, part of our JSW Radio Archive series, is the third and final of three excerpts taken from the book Entre Lloris y Guarijillos, Crónicas sobre el Quehacer Antropológico, written by Mexican anthropologist Dr. Teresa Valdivia Donce, a researcher with the National Autonomous University of Mexico. This part of the book is an oral history narrated to Valdivia by Cipriano Buitime Romero, a leader among the Guarijillo people. Valdivia did not simply record and transcribe Cipriano's words, however. The two of them worked closely together from start to finish to produce this astonishing historical account of oppression and resilience in the Sierra Guarijilla of Sonora. We hope you find it interesting. Like a painted footprint, Cipriano Buitimea Romero and Maria Teresa Valdivia Donce of Cipriano's life. I was born near Huamuchil, about four kilometers down, in a place called Cueva Larga. Huamuchil is just before you get to Los Bajillos. That's where I was born. I have four sisters and two brothers, plus one who died of sickness because in those days there was no doctor. We were very poor. We didn't have anything, and our father worked with the people who had resources, with the ranchers. They paid him very little, at that time about five pesos. My father worked from sun up to sundown. Sometimes he went to work and they would pay him with five liters of corn for the day, for the whole day, from early morning until the sun went down, just to earn five liters of corn to feed us. That's the way it was in those days. Everyone worked with the only people they could, the ranchers. To some of us, the ranchers provided steady work, and often they would let us share crop. But the people got nothing from that arrangement, because to work and support ourselves, we needed provisions. Five liters of corn, or often they would give them a liter of salt, and that's, that's how they supported themselves back then. That's how it was when I was old enough to understand. Paid in provisions, it was very little what people earned back then. Our mothers would go out to look for, when there was fruit, pitaya, echo, tempisque, which by the month of May is beginning to give a little ripe fruit. Everyone ate wild foods. Since they had nothing else to eat, they had to look for it in the monte. There they found the well-known spots with beehives and honey, and there was a root called chichiguo. It's a little root that sends up a shoot, and it turns yellow when it dries out. Those they had to dig for us to eat. All of this is what the poor people ate. Often people would put together traps to hunt deer. Back then there was nothing to kill with, no rifles or anything, so they hunted deer with this trap that they made with a rope tied to a branch. The deer would lasso himself in it, and there they would grab him and butcher him. With the javelinas it was the same. If they had a good dog, he would chase after them and run them into the caves. Then they would light a fire. With just the smoke, the javelina would die inside the cave. They also looked for fish in the arroyos and rivers. Before they built the Mokusari Reservoir, there were catfish, mojarras, and before that there were mullets and shrimp that we Warahiwas called cochirones. Spanish speakers called them cauque, not shrimp. Now none of that is left. Then I got big enough to work, caring for calves and making money, and that way I could help out my father. I earned five liters of corn. That is what they paid me, and also some extra clothes that the bosses would give me. I was never too shy, probably because hunger made me look for food wherever I could find it, and the same went for clothing. After that, I could buy a little bit of clothing for my father and my mother. I was the eldest son, so I had to work. 
At around 12 years old, I left for the valley. I went through Kidiego so I could sell four sacks of corn, since there I heard they paid better. I ended up selling them to a man who offered me work, so I stayed and didn't return home. And that's when I began to move around. I said to myself, maybe I can make a little more money farther down, near the coast. I went with one of my uncles. My father was too shy and wouldn't go farther away to look for work, so I ventured out there, out in the valley, to see how much I could earn, to see if I could make more money. Back then, men earned two or three pesos a day, but in the beginning they were paying me five. Then they started paying me the same as everybody else. I liked working down there. For ten years I was working in the valley without coming home. I was in Obregón, Caborca, Tepic, Navolato, harvesting tobacco, cotton, whatever there was. I left my father and mother here, abandoned. I came home because my mother sent me a letter saying that I should come home to see her. She was alone with her five small children because her father had gone out looking for beehives in the monte. He had gone far away and died. When they found him, all that was left was a bony corpse. He had been dead for fifteen days or so. He had gone into the monte looking for meat and honey. Maybe a rock fell on him, or maybe it was the dogs that he had with him. I don't really know what happened. So I came home. At the time I was in Sinaloa, and I had to leave my work to come home. Back home, I was planting corn for about five years, near here by Maquipo, near Los Bajillos. At that time, the Guadajillos were not planting sesame, just corn we planted. After those four years, I left to look for work, and I took my mother with me. I had to find a better job, a more consistent job. I earned 15 pesos per day at the Borboa Ranch in Quidiego. I worked there for two years, working on fences, clearing land and all that, and planting sesame, but planting it for the patron. You could not plant it for yourself. Leaving that work, we had to go farther away, farther down, because there wasn't enough work to support my brothers and sisters and my mother. We were seven siblings, four women, and three men. I took all of them with me. We went to the area they called Arenera in Ciudad Obregón. There I was working in a brickyard. We made money, and we were there until my siblings had grown up. When I was working in the valley, I did not miss the Sierra. There I was always able to do whatever I wanted because I went to unfamiliar places, worked peacefully, and ate well. I had little desire to return to the Sierra. I could see myself staying down there. Here in the Sierra, there was more poverty and nothing to eat, so I did not miss anything. My family did miss it, but because I liked it so much down in the valley, I couldn't come back. Then I left my mother in the valley and came back to Los Bajillos. Since my siblings were working by that time, they didn't want to come back. They liked it there because they were not hungry. There was much to eat. But there was a woman I liked here, and I had to come back to be with that woman because she was from here. I liked to plant corn, and by then they were letting us plant a little, so I came back to plant corn. If I had been born in a town, I would have looked for a way to work in a place there was more action. There in town, ever since white people began to live there, there was always a school. I would have studied whatever I wanted, and I would have got work. I would like to have studied engineering so I could be in the campo. That is why at about ten years I left to explore, to seek things out, to ask questions. But always with the same consciousness as my people. Not just for pleasure, but because of the hunger. I left the Sierra to understand the problems of which we were victims, the Guadijio tribe. All of that I remember. Well, that was how my life went. At that time, almost no one from here, from the Sierra, left to work in other places. Maybe it was because they just did not know. But they did not go anywhere else. 
They just stayed here, and they all lived in a backward way. How the people lived. Here in the Monte we were suffering. It was very little what we earned, and we were poorly clothed and poorly fed. I remember well that that is how we lived. We planted as sharecroppers, and they took all of the harvest from us, the ones who we owed money to, the patrones. We paid them in corn, and that is why they made us plant, so that they, the yoris, could take it. And that's the way we lived, all of us who are here in the Sierra, all of us the same. Those who lived in Mesa Colorada, in Bavicuara, in Los Conejos, in Burapaco, and in all the ranchos, it was the same for them, too. Then everyone went to work down below, in the valleys, looking for better-paying work, because here they earn nothing. They would work for a week in the valleys, or two weeks, some working 20 days, 30 days, depending on the type of work they could get there. But they always returned here. For us Guarajillos, we like living in the Sierra. We are not used to the town. We have always lived dispersed. That is, we are all living scattered across the Sierra. This custom nobody can take away. That's what the Guarajillo tribe says. It is not our custom to create towns, although they tell us we should come together in a big town. Since we are used to having animals, we have always lived dispersed, our houses apart from each other, hidden in the hillsides. That is what this means. And I also say this because I know my people and I know myself, and I would never want to live in town. Only the ones who have money can live together, not scattered. They all live together, they like each other, and they have the money to build a town. That is, each house is built to last a long time. It is not the same for us because we do not have the resources to build a house that will last for a long time. We have only provisional homes. From time to time we change to a different house. We also have huts made of palm thatch, or royal palm as they say. This palm grows from the ground, and we bring it from its source, and with it this is how we have been living, making our little houses, and with the palm that is how we protect ourselves from the rain. This knowledge comes from our parents. We have always been backward. During all that time that we have been in this world, do not believe that we have ever had the opportunity to build a good house. It has never been that way. We came into this world to be the worst off, to even be without clothes. I do not know what year the Mexican War happened, but from then on there was never room for indigenous people to dress well or to own anything. That was our style of life. Everyone, all of us here in the Sierra, have never owned a decent house, just a palm shack. To this day, we have not been able to have a decent house because we don't have the means. As the saying goes, a person who is born poor will always be poor. There is nothing more for us than just work, and just enough work to feed ourselves, not more. We Wadahios have never missed a day of work, the same as all poor people, since there can also be poor white people. We poor have to work to live, we work for our needs. That is why we cannot say that just we Wadahios work, because all poor people have to work. But white people, they are not all poor. There are very few who don't have money, those who work as day laborers. We Wadahios are all equally down and out. No one would tell you that so-and-so is doing well, that he is eating whatever he wants, or that he has money to buy things. We are all equally poor. And before, when our children were born, we would not register them because we lived like animals. Our children growing up without schooling, doctors, there was nothing. Well, all of that was lacking, but no one thought of saying, I'm going out to put my children in school in Diego or Alamos. Nobody said that. On the contrary, they were afraid. People then were kind of wild, and they didn't register their children. The Yoris were the ones who had judges, schools, everything. But they too did not say, we are going to build a school here. They did not help anyone, even seeing that there were so many people in the Sierra without schooling. 
Not one of the ranchers who lived out there helped us out, but they also lived almost exactly like us. A few of them put their children in school, but for the most part they lived like us. They were ignorant, too, because they hadn't moved into the city where there were many people. They did go to the city, yes, but only to purchase goods, not to stay and study. When people got sick, they looked for remedies in the monte. Back then there were a few people, as there are now, who knew how to heal the sick. But there are very few of us who know how to cure, and they don't practice medicine. Well, they do practice medicine, but only to cure people suffering from fright or who have been cursed, things like that. There are still people who can cure children and the elderly. There are the bone setters, healers, people of all types, depending on the illness. But doctors who came from outside, doctors from the city, from other towns, we've never had that here. So we struggled, using whatever remedies we could find here in the monte, and with that we would take the illness out. There are remedies here, many, but there are few people who know them. That's how I was, struggling, and so was my father. Because I know very well that when I was little and got sick, my father would go out to look for remedies out there in the monte, trying to see which one worked to alleviate me. Everyone struggled the same way. When a child got sick, we could not just say, I'm going to take him to wherever there is a doctor, since we didn't have the money to travel. We were also ashamed to go down to the town or to the city because we didn't have good clothes. Here, among the Wadahio, we always wore whatever clothes we could make. Back then, there was no place to buy clothes. When I started to become aware of the world, I knew old men and women who still wore the zepeta, which is a loincloth. They also wore a contessier, which was a square piece of fabric tied around the neck and fastened to the belt that they used to cover their shoulders. That's what they still wore when I awoke in this dream. Some of us, those who had them, wore pants that were full of holes and patched up everywhere. I later saw some people who were going around without a shirt, without pants, with nothing. Only a few had pants. It got to the point that people would say if you had pants and they were not patched up, more or less you were a rich person. In those days, people made their clothes with one or two meters of cloth. That is all they used. They made shirts with sleeves and pants. They also bought cuttings in San Bernardo and Alamos to make denim jeans, as they called them. The adults, the parents, had to walk some three days to get to where they sold clothes. They bought very little, but they still had to leave to get it. In the same way, many people went all the way to the sea to bring back salt when they needed it. They took burros with them, and they went all the way down to Navajoa, walking for as long as a week just to get there, and another week just to get back. All of the yodis also had to go all the way to the sea to get salt. They paid people to go for them. They didn't go themselves, but they would get mule drivers to bring it back from Navajoa. We could only purchase things when we had no debt with the patron. We would look for used pants, but even then people did not have enough money to buy pants. And we didn't wear factory-made hats or shoes. The hats we wore back then were made of palm right from here in the Sierra. The huarache sandals that we wore were made of uncured leather, ones that the yoris gave us. They would give us a piece of dry leather, we would soak it, and from that we would make the huaraches. Leather belts were made the same way. Men cut their hair short, but they left a tuft in the front that they would comb to the back, to the nape of the neck, the way this old man from Chinawiro does, Don Romulo. That's how people went about back then. I had to like it back in the day, too. I was like everyone else. If I was wearing a pair of raw leather huaraches, I was feeling good. But once I had grown older and was walking around barefoot, everywhere I went I was getting stuck with thorns lying in the path. That's the way it was, the thorns never went away, not even for a moment. Here in the Sierra it is very thorny, and the women, well it was the same, and they wore huaraches even less than those times. 
They all went around barefoot. They also wore torn dresses and went around with a reboso. One or another wore a reboso, those big ones, but today they hardly wear them around here. I never thought, never imagined that our lives would change here one bit. I lived my life without thinking about that. I don't think that the state governor knew much about how we were, or he just ignored the indigenous. He had us there, forgotten. We sometimes heard about the governors of the republic, municipal governors, but we were not capable of confronting them because their mothers and fathers were wild, like animals. But the pequeños propietarios, the small property owners, they were the masters of everyone in the Sierra. The rich did not want to hand over the land, and they acted fiercely. Do not give them anything, they said. But the Wadihio tribe made them rich because we were the ones who worked. Where did they work? They were not even capable of cutting a single fence post or of running wire. Nor did they plant with their own hands. All they knew was how to give orders. They would say, this year we are going to plant. Lies. They never planted. The people who planted were the poor. That is where our hand would be, the hands of the rich, I think, because we made the Yoris wealthy with our work. The poor worked because we were very backward, but even then, as much as we worked for them, no one ever said, well, so-and-so doesn't have a place to plant, so we are going to give him a little plot of land to help him out. No, never. They never think about anyone but themselves. The pequeños propietarios never gave us guarijillos a chance to plant. Instead, they would let us share crop. But those of us who were poor sharecropped because we knew well that they would give us something to eat. They would tell us, if you want food, well, come with me, I will give you a little bit of corn. But what happened was that they would give us five liters of corn, and they would tell us that it would have to last a week. But how are five liters of corn supposed to last a week? And even worse, if one had three or five kids, and here people had kids. And after the Wadihio harvested, well, they did not even pay the poor guy, and he would have to pay his debt in payments. Many times we did not have enough money, and so we were left poor and with nothing to eat. We worked so hard, clearing fields, planting, plowing, all of that, and we just stayed the same. Everything we harvested, even what we had sharecropped, they took it all. For as much as we worked, a poor man could not hardly earn a cent, and he was always in the same place. We just kept working the same, and because of that, the fight began. We wanted land so that we could stop working with the Yoris. The whole tribe was tired, even more tired than our animals, because they made us work from sunup to sundown. We no longer wanted it that way. We didn't want to work with them anymore. We had grown old from all that work. Many of us had died working from the fatigue that got to them. There were almost no old people left. The patrones would rise early to seek out the people who owed them money. They would go right to their homes, get them out of bed. Now come with me, back to my home, so you can cut me a little firewood. And that is how they would give them tasks on their fenced-in lands, and that poor man would work, but he was always beaten down and poorly fed. All the more reason to fight. Because of this, when we were in the struggle, everyone agreed that it was the right thing to do, and we were organizing. If we had continued with them, the Yoris, if we hadn't found a way to fight back, if we had continued working with them, well, who knows what would have happened. Maybe they would force us to work with whippings. They would have forced us to work. But when we first started to assemble, they would beat our leaders, those who were leading the people. They would send us to the judicial police because those with money did not want us to join together. They wanted to keep us working all the time because they do not work. Well, they do work, but in a different way. You can think of it as working, but with money. Those with money do not work with their arms, but a poor person has to work. He has to bash up his hands, arms, body, and he has to do it while tired. But those with money do not have to beat themselves up so much. 
they just order around the workers as they sit comfortably in the shade. Such is the life of money. A poor person, no, he has to work in the sun, and when it is most punishing is in the month of May, when the sun is very strong. But that is the way one has to work. He has to suffer and to sweat in order to eat. If he does not, he will die of hunger. One has to plant and harvest in order to eat. All of this is what we have among us, suffering. We were like animals, just living and working with the rich, and like with their animals, the rich would give us just a little bit of salt, and with that we would have to be satisfied because the hunger made us work. Just a little bit more, and we would not have made it. Because of this, we fought even harder, and when they saw that we were organized in groups, the pequeños propietarios went against us. Thank you.